Good morning. Good morning. We're finally, finally here. It feels, at least to me, uh, like this has been a long time coming. Uh, I'm not sure if it feels that way for you, but to finally be here with you all uh, is a tremendous uh, joy. Uh, we have had a crazy uh, month. Uh, we have come to the end. I've just come to the end of seminary. I graduated from seminary uh, just a few weeks ago. And immediately after that, we loaded up our home in San Diego. We put everything in about four pods and we shipped them out. And to be honest, I'm really not sure exactly where those even are. Um, and we left last Monday to make our journey out here. We came into town this, uh, this past Monday evening, and here we are, finally with you all. And I am just overjoyed uh, and happy to finally be here. I have already felt uh, tremendously loved uh, by so many of you. Uh, and I was just reminded as, as Paul was praying uh, of a passage of 1 Corinthians, Paul refers to ministry as a grace and as a gift. And that means that you all are a gift. I consider you all a gift. It's, it's, of course, ministry is, uh, is work and it's service, but uh, it is a grace that is given from God, and I am so thankful for all of you. Well, before we get into this morning's sermon, uh, I just want to lay out for you all uh, the, the plan moving forward, because if you haven't noticed, our church is in quite a bit of transition. And so I just want to, to take a moment to, to sort of map out where we are in this process. So now, today, starting today, we now have seven Sundays this summer uh, where we will continue to meet here in this building uh, for Sunday worship. And then, during the month of August, this building is actually going to close. It's going to close for about one month, and during that month, uh, this building is prayerfully, Lord willing, going to get a bit of a remodel, uh, or at least a renovation. Uh, it's our hope to uh, I'm looking at Joel right now, I think he's, he's nervous about what I'm promising. So Lord willing, uh, Lord willing, we will have the carpets changed, we'll have some paint, uh, some new fresh paint, uh, we will have some holes in the roof fixed, and perhaps most importantly, we will get a new air conditioning that doesn't need to be hot-wired. So uh, that is the hope that is the goal, Lord willing, those things will come about. So you can please be praying uh, for that, uh, as that directs so much of uh, our attention right now. But after that, so excuse me, while that month is happening, I, we are going to be still meeting. We are still going to meet for Sunday worship. We are going to be joining our brothers and sisters at Orland Park CRC for Sunday worship during the month of August. And, and if I can just say this now, and, and I will say this again uh, in the weeks leading up to that time, but if you consider Christ Community Church your home church, uh, I'm sure so many of you do, or if you are new with us and, and, and August comes around and you, and you think, okay, yeah, this is, this is worth sticking around for, 
then I would strongly encourage you uh, to really make that trip out to Orland Park CRC and to stay involved with us uh, during that time of transition. Uh, Orland Park has been a tremendous uh, help for us and for this church. Uh, they have made an incredible investment, not just uh, financial investment, but of time and resources and prayer. And they are working so much for our good. And it would be uh, so good for this congregation to continue to grow in union with them. And so, I, again, I encourage you, you'll hear this again, uh, please come. I know, realistically, it's, it's 40 minutes away, but it's only for a month. And, uh, and they're, 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 a good, they're good people. So. Uh, so that is the month of August. And then what, what happens after that? Well, on the second Sunday in September, I believe it's actually September 11th, we will have our official relaunch of our church and Plainfield Christian Reformed Church, Plainfield CRC, uh, which will be our new name, will now have its official relaunch and we will be meeting here, Lord willing, in a, um, in a nicer building? We'll see. So... All right, so that is the plan moving forward. If you have any questions about that, feel free to ask me or ask Joel or any of the other elders uh, involved in that process or ask Mark as well. But much to pray for, much to look forward to. So we have seven Sundays, seven Sundays before uh, we really start to see uh, some, some bigger moves with this transition. As we think about what we're going to be talking about over these next seven Sundays, uh, my hope is to start to get us to look forward to that transition time, to look forward to what is coming. There's obviously a lot of uh, excitement around this new venture. I'm sure there's, there's a bit of, of skepticism as well around this new uh, venture. I'm sure there's lots of hopes as well for this church and for the ch this church's days uh, coming ahead. And I'm sure many of us are asking the question, and rightfully so, what will this new church look like? What kind of church is this new church, is, is Plainfield Christian Reformed Church going to be? This church has been, uh, I'm sure it can feel like it's been on a bit of a roller coaster. And so now finally, Something is, is coming to, to fruition here, Lord willing, prayerfully soon. Where are we going? What is that church going to look like? I think those are good questions to ask. But I also think that often behind those sorts of questions, whether we realize it or not, we, we certainly have some sort of expectation. We certainly have our own personal preferences. And those preferences, or those expectations, I think that they can often come out in, in different forms of questions. Questions like these. Is this going to be a friendly church? Is this going to be a welcoming church? Is this going to be a family-oriented church? Will this church have a strong 
men's ministry or women's ministry or a thriving children's ministry? Will it have an exciting youth group for my family? You know, I, I, I have children. I, I have to have something like that for my family. Or what about outreach? I'm very much into outreach. Will, will our new church uh, be concerned about evangelism and, and reaching the lost? What about apologetics classes? What about something that I can invite my non-believing friends to? Will, will our church and our new church be concerned at all about those types of things and, and have those sorts of ministries? Or what about social justice? Will this church be engaged in, in any sort of uh, socio-political fight for the good of our state? And if so, what flavor of socio-political change will this church engage with? What about community service? What about community groups? What about life groups? What about core groups? What about fellowship groups? Will this church continue to have a Bible study for men 55 and over? What about women 55 and over? What about men in their 30s and 40s? What about women in their 30s and 40s? Will this church have a college and career ministry, you know, to engage with the, the young people of our day? Speaking of the Bible and Bible studies, what sort of Bible classes will this church have? What sort of theology classes will this church have? Or catechism classes? What exactly is this church's culture going to be? What is this church's identity going to be? And of course, there's this new guy. This new pastor guy. What's he all about? What can I expect from him? What should I expect from him? Well, over the course of these next seven weeks, it's my hope to certainly provide for you all a vignette or a picture of the, of the type of church that we all, Lord willing, will be, will be striving to become and to, and to work towards. And along with that, to also provide you uh, with the sort of expectations you can and should rightfully have for me as your pastor. But, allow me to disappoint you early on. Because we're actually, for the next seven weeks, we're not going to be talking about any of those types of ministries I just mentioned. And that's not because I think any of those ministries are bad, it's not because I, I think that uh, our church won't have any of those sorts of things. Of course we will. I think some of those ministries are, are quite wonderful. But because, believe it or not, the church is more than its various programs and ministries and what it has to offer. The church is more than its various programs. And perhaps we can ask those questions another way. Can a church be a good church 
without a thriving men's ministry? Can a church be a healthy church without community groups? Can a church be a good church without community service or engaging in socio-political issues? Can a, can a good church, or excuse me, can a church be a, a good church for you even if you have a family if it doesn't have a well-engineered children's ministry? Can a church be a good church for you if you have teenagers, even if it doesn't have the most exciting and polished youth group? Can a church be a good church if it doesn't have fill-in-the-blank? Though it may surprise some of us, despite being more than 2,000 years old, this new covenant community, which we refer to as the church, has in fact survived and even thrived without offering so many of the different ministries and programs that you and I have come and deemed absolutely essential before we even attend. And so what really makes a good church? What really makes a healthy church? And just as importantly, perhaps another question we could ask, is who gets to answer those questions? Who gets to decide what is a good church and a healthy church? Well, this is what I want us to consider over these next few weeks as we begin to prepare for our transition. And in so doing, it, it, it's my hope that we would begin to have our expectations shaped. That we would begin to have our preferences shaped. Not by our current and possibly uh, our personal preferences right now, not by uh, our so-called needs, whatever lists that we might have as, as, as essentially important, not the so-called needs of our families. It is my hope that as we prepare for this transition that we would have our expect expectations for what lies ahead shaped not even by our own histories, not to, to approach the future by, by remembering uh, the, the, the past and, and trying to avoid some of those bad experiences. Or even trying to look forward to the future and trying to recapture some of the glory days of yesterday. But it's my hope that for these next seven weeks that we would allow our expectations for this church to be shaped by Scripture and by God's Word in order that we would all learn to recognize what God deems as a healthy church and an unhealthy one 
and Lord willing that we would be a people who please God because we truly know what it is that he has called us to in his church. And so that's my hope as we move forward towards September, that our preferences for church would begin to be reshaped and reoriented by God's word, and that those preferences would become well-rooted convictions, and in so doing, that our palates, that our taste buds, would come to desire the same things that God desires for us, his people. And so with that in mind, I'd like us to turn to Galatians 1. So if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Galatians 1. Because I think here, we see quite clearly what is first and foremost essential for the people of God. Here I believe we see what truly qualifies a good church from a bad church, a healthy church from an unhealthy church, a pure church from an impure church. Here I think we even see what qualifies a true church from a false church. And that is this. It is the message that is preached. What qualifies a good church from a bad church is the message that is preached. What qualifies a true church from a false church is the message that is preached right here. And so please look with me now, Galatians 1. We're going to be reading the first ten verses. So Paul's of the church in Galatia. He writes this. Paul an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the church in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever, Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask now, Lord, as, as we open your scriptures, uh, to look at what it is that you have called your church to, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing 
and acceptable to you. And that we uh, would now help us, Lord, that we ask that you would help us now to receive your grace. In your son's name, amen. So here, in Galatians 1, Paul is writing to the church, which seems to have been introduced to a new type of teaching. From what we're able to tell elsewhere in the book, this group had apparently come in, and they had been convincing this largely Gentile congregation that, you know what, their Christianity, it needed to look a little bit more Jewish. Their Christianity needed to to look a little bit more Jewish. Sure, they, they, they seem to want to keep affirming Christ. They want to keep affirming Jesus as, as somehow important to the faith. Of course He is. But also, also, in order to be truly saved, in order to be truly Christian, to really be a part of God's people, well, you also need to be circumcised. Oh, and you also needed to keep following Old Testament Jewish law. Of course, believe in Jesus. But if you're really serious, if you're truly serious about your faith, then you, know, you need to be concerned also with the food that you eat. And, and you know what? You also need to be, if you want to prove yourself as a, as a real follower of Jesus, you also need to be concerned about who you eat that food with. But Paul here, who was in fact Jewish, and who had in fact been, as, as he refers to himself elsewhere, a Pharisee of Pharisees, he says quite clearly in this introduction that if you preach that message, and that is what you call gospel truth, in mixing a, a, a little bit of law in with your Christianity, and adding just, just a few more requirements beyond a faith in Christ alone for your salvation, if that is what you consider to be the gospel, then Paul says quite clearly here, then may you go straight to hell. Then may you go straight to hell. That's strong language. That's not a very nice thing to say. That, that, that it's not really the type of speech that we would even consider appropriate here in the church uh, from the look of some of your faces. Or to even be politically correct. And yet Paul says it. He says, I don't care who you are, whether you're a man or an angel of heaven, whether you're another apostle or whether you're even me, if anyone preaches a gospel contrary to the one that I preach to you, then let him be accursed. 
anathema. Why is Paul being so severe here? Why is Paul being so critical? Well, that's because getting the gospel right really is a matter of life or death. Getting the gospel right really is a matter of life or death. That is what is at stake here. And I really hope you see it that way. I really hope you see it that way. If you don't, please allow me at this time to give you something to worry about. Do you know what the Gospel is? Do you know clearly what the Gospel is? Paul's central concern here for the church in Galatia is really this matter of apostasy. He does not want to see the church in Galatia fall away and be cut off from Christ by playing some religious game. And so Paul here is saying quite clearly he is placing all of his chips on the gospel. He's placing all of his bets on the gospel and he's saying if you don't get this right, if you muck this up, then you will in fact be cut off from Christ. It is that severe. It is that serious. Well, for Paul, it is the Gospel. It is the one true and only Gospel that the church must get absolutely right in order for it to stand and to be a true church. But what is the Gospel? What is the Gospel? Well, this, this week, here in the office, uh, Mark, Debbie, and I, we were in a conversation, and, and we were talking about these sort of words that have lost their meaning uh, within the English language. I'm sure you all can think of some uh, literally. Uh, Mark had a good one. Uh, perfect, right? That's perfect. That seems to... Is it, is it really perfect? I think many of us in the church, the gospel has come to take on this sort of vague meaning because it often gets thrown around to refer to simply anything that, that's somewhat good or spiritual in the Christian life, right? We have gospel music, we have gospel conferences. But what is the gospel? Euangelion. That's the word in the Greek, and that word means something. Well, this word, it, it's a message. Or rather, it, it is actually, it's a, it's a proclamation. It's, it's something that is proclaimed. That's why we call it good news. It's actually a military term. On the battlefield, after the battle was won, and there was victory on the battlefield, they would, they would send someone to herald out the Uengelion. The victory cry. The good news. 
Right? World War II and V-Day. We see that in the paper. Because there's news. There's good news to be had. But what is that message? What is that proclamation that we call the Gospel? We see it right here in verse 3 when Paul says, Grace to you. Grace to you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. The Gospel is a message. It is a message from God and that message, that proclamation is this, that now because of what Jesus has done, because of what Jesus did on the cross for you, and dying for your sins, your Heavenly Father, He now comes to you, and He comes to you with news. He comes to you with something to tell you. And do you know what that news is? God comes to you now, and he doesn't say do. God comes to you now and he doesn't say try. Try harder. God comes to you now and he doesn't say perform. Do better. No, because of Jesus Christ, God comes to you now and He says grace to you. Grace to you, my child. Because it is already done. Have peace. The Gospel is the proclamation that you may now rest. That you now have a legal right before God. That no one can condemn you. That it is already done and that you may now rest. That is the Gospel. Or as one of my professors told me, the Gospel never tells you what to do. It is good news that tells you what has already been done. The Gospel is not a lifestyle that we must take on. The Gospel is not even something that, that we need to live out. The Gospel is a message to be believed. That Jesus Christ lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. Even on our best days. And what's more, that Jesus Christ took on your sin and the death that you deserved in order that you would no longer be estranged from your Heavenly Father. But now, when He looks at you, 
no matter what kind of day, no matter what kind of week you are having, that message does not change. It is grace for you. The gospel is the news that God is for you. And the gospel is a message to put your faith in. That is the gospel and there is no other. And what Paul is saying here, and this is the important, this is, this is just as important, what Paul is saying here is that if you add to that gospel, you lose everything. As a friend of mine said, it's the only place where addition means subtraction. If you add anything to that gospel message, any sort of requirement, any sort of call to obedience, you lose it all. If you take this message, this message which says, everything has been done for you, there's nothing left to do to earn God's love, and you have God's favor upon you. This message that says, hey, God actually likes you. God actually loves you. Even despite those terrible things you said to your children on the way to church this morning. Even despite that, that those nasty words that you spoke to your spouse, even despite that, that undying resentment that you have, that, that ugliness that you feel, despite all of those things, it is grace for you. But what Paul is saying here is that if you take that message of God's grace, which is on the basis of what Jesus has done and Jesus' obedience, and if you muddy it, or entangle it with an obedience of your own, then you've lost. The good news of Jesus Christ is that it is by His law-keeping, not our own, that we now have favor with God. And I'm sure some of you probably have a small voice in your head right now. A small voice in your head that's saying, well, yeah, but what about this? If you really want to be a Christian, you got to do this. All right, what about what James says, right? Faith without works is dead. Well, the law's place in the Christian life is a, is a larger discussion and one that I'm sure that we will certainly have, but I hope that I can quiet any of your anxieties right now that to say, just by simply saying, I don't disagree with James, and that Paul most certainly does not disagree with James, but I hope that you would agree with this statement, that the law is not the gospel. Works are not the gospel. The law is something that comes to you and it says do. The gospel comes to you and says it is done. 
As good as the law is, as Paul says later in this book of Galatians, the law is not of faith. The law is not something to be believed in. If you try, hear me now, if you try to take any ounce of the law and mix it in as the basis for your right standing with God, if you try to take any bit of your own obedience as your own right standing before the Father and base His love for you upon anything to do with you, then you are cut off. Obedience is what every Christian is called to, but you must understand obedience, your obedience, plays absolutely no role in your salvation, but it is only upon the obedience of Christ. That is the good news. And that is the message that we, as the church, must get right. That is the message we must get right. You are saved on the basis of Christ alone. You are saved on the basis of Christ alone, or you are saved on the basis of your own good works. It's either or. They do not mingle. They do not mix up. You cannot mix them together to make some sort of religious cocktail just because it tastes a little bit better to you. If you don't like that message, then friends, hear me, you don't understand the gospel and there is something wrong with your taste buds and that is a matter of life or death. So brothers and sisters, hear me. We'll be closing up here. The church is of no value to you whatsoever if it does not get the gospel right. This church is of no value to you whatsoever if we do not get the gospel right. This church is of no value to you even if it has a thriving children's ministry, even if it has a wonderful and exciting youth group. This church is of no value to you, even if it has a popular men's ministry or a popular women's ministry or fill in the blank. If this church does not get the gospel right, this church is of no value to you whatsoever. And you'd probably be better off staying home or signing your kids up for soccer or you going to work or joining some sort of social club or picking up some hobby with a, with a, a group that you could participate in and, and make some friends. And that is because 
what you will get in those groups is not the gospel, but it is law. You put a kid in soccer, what is it? Perform, perform, perform. You go to your work, what is it? Do, do, do. Perform, perform, perform. Be better. Be better. Be better. In this present evil age, where the law of do and try harder and be better comes so natural, but we as the church... There's a different message. I think the reason you and I have such an aversion to the Gospel is because the law is what we instinctively, so naturally know. But Jesus Christ gave Himself up, is what it says, in order to deliver us from this present evil age and to bring us into the new creation and every single person who is in the new creation is there not because they earned it, but because of grace. And so here, for this church, when you come into these doors, and you come into this sanctuary on Sunday morning, on the Sabbath day of rest, after living out there, for six days out of the week and hearing the law, the law, the law and do and do and do and try and try and try. Brothers and sisters, when you come into these doors, may you find rest for your souls. May you find rest in the good news of the Gospel that will be preached to you Every Sunday, this message of grace and peace from God our Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. It is my job as your pastor to remind you of that week after week after week. And if I preach a gospel contrary to this one, then let me be accursed. But it is my prayer as your pastor that the Lord would strengthen me to never turn away from this message, but to faithfully proclaim these words of eternal life to you for the time that the Lord has us together or until He returns again. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father of all grace, Lord Jesus, our Savior, and Holy Spirit who abides with us here and now, we thank you that you have called us here into your presence this morning to receive and be reminded once again of the grace which overflows for us now because of Christ Jesus. We ask that you would help our stubborn hearts 
Help our hard hearts to become soft and to know how to receive. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you for this church. May you be glorified and honored this day. In your son's name, amen.